This is In the Studio with Michael Card. I'm co-host Wayne Shepard here with Michael in Franklin, Tennessee. Here's a trivia question. Uh I'm sure you know the answer to this though, Michael. Uh What was the first name of the radio program that preceded In the Studio? Oh, Joy in the Journey, easy. It was too easy a question, wasn't it? Well, Joy in the Journey was our first time together on the radio. That was a brief series of broadcasts. And at that time, Dr. Bill Lane was with us Mm -hmm. and we recorded him for that program. We're going to re-air part of uh, his teaching today here, part three of his teaching actually. We've been doing this over the past several weeks. Yeah, that recording is too precious to just let lie in a vault somewhere. So we want to bring that out and use that every, every, every chance we get. We're going to go to that Bible teaching in just a moment. Let's review the cycle of discipleship, though, as Dr. Lane has been teaching the past couple of weeks. Cycle, the first cycle is? The first step of the cycle is the call of Jesus. Uh, Jesus calls his disciples to come and be with him. And uh, he, he takes them through a number of experiences uh, where they see Jesus in, in, in conflict with the demonic, in conflict with his own uh, parents, in mm-hmm. conflict with religious authorities. Uh, they see him being rejected in his own hometown. They see him heal, and they see him do different uh, do different things that are are all a part of ministry. But that's part one: the call to be with Jesus. Uh, the call. Uh, the second part is Jesus sending his disciples out. That is the commission to go and speak his word and to do his work. And the third part is the disciples uh, returning to Jesus and reporting back everything that they've said, everything that they've done, and then hearing Jesus say, "Come." to a quiet place mm, and get rest, some rest. Rest, yeah. yeah. Well, this is not just the cycle of the disciples then, no. but it's the cycle of disciples now as well, and that's the value of what we're going to hear today. Absolutely. All right. We're also going to be joined later in the broadcast today by Jim Van Eypren, who will talk about biblical community, true biblical community. So we look forward to that discussion as well. But right now, let's get started with this uh, this song, actually, which is also from the previous program that led into our time with Dr. Lane. Here's Michael Card. share is the light we must bear is the light that illumines the darkness the promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light and so we must claim in his powerful name the promise the bible has spoken we must understand that a cord of three strands cannot be easily broken the light we must bear is the light we must share is the light that illumines the darkness the promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing the light the promises kept give us strength to accept this burden of bearing And it's precisely as bearers of the light, as those that had been authorized to speak Jesus' word and to do his work, that the twelve came back and reported to Jesus what they had done and what they had said. We can, would you read that passage to us, Michael? Mark 6, 30 and 31. Sure. The apostles gathered around Jesus and reported to him all they had done and taught. Then, because so many people were coming and going that they did not even have a chance to eat, he said to them, Come with me by yourselves to a quiet place, 
and get some rest. Now, it's here that the disciplined use of the imagination is invited by the text itself. Here we have the 12 who have been sent out two by two as the authorized representatives of Jesus. It's interesting that in verse 30, they are clearly designated the apostles. Mm -hmm. Is that the first time? It's the second time in the text, because you remember in chapter 3, verse 14, he he called 12 who were designated apostles. Mm -hmm. And we saw that the background to that term was the institution of the Sheliakim in first century Judaism. There was the institution of the commissioned agent who was authorized to act on behalf of an individual in the purchase of land, in the carrying out of some uh, banking transaction, mm-hmm. in uh, the actually carrying forward a number of enterprises. So it was part of that uh, responsibility then to report back? Absolutely. And it goes beyond the concept of disciple to it, apostle. It really does, because the Sheliach was the person whose word was as authoritative as the word of the one who commissioned him, precisely because the terms of the commission had been carefully defined. Mm -hmm. This is what you are to do. It's within these parameters you're to carry out your work. It's within these dimensions that you are to address the situation. And so, of course, it was the responsibility of the Sheliak, of the apostle, if you please, to come back and to tell the one who commissioned him, in this case Jesus, what they had done and what they had taught. And of course, last week in phase two, we learned that they did go out, they preached, they, they preached that people should repent and they drove out demons. That was a part of what they did with the authority of Christ. Yes, and you can see that there had been an enormous response in verse 31. Many people were coming and going. That is, they were asking for the ministry which the twelve were authorized to carry forward so that they themselves did not even have an opportunity to eat. Hmm. We're reminded uh, of that incident back in the home in Capernaum where Jesus had no time to eat, no time to rest, and his family thought he had lost his mind. There are other priorities at work here. And it's interesting that Jesus cares for those who have been commissioned to speak his word and do his work. For he says, come with me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest. He was deeply concerned for their welfare. So this is the third phase in this cycle of discipleship. Yes, and Wayne, it's a phase that calls us into accountability. Hmm. You see, none of us is a free agent who seeks to speak the word of the Lord and do the work of the Lord. We have been commissioned by him, but we are accountable to him. And it's at that point that I think Christian ministry and leadership and involvement in Christian work has frequently gone wrong. How so? Because we have failed to come into the presence of the Lord and to say, Lord, this is what I've done, this is what I have said, and I did it for you. Hmm. Because it's in just such a situation that the Lord can say, well done, 
or he can say, you did fine up to this point, but you didn't represent me well here. Mm -hmm. You need to represent me better in this particular way. Well, this whole issue of of how difficult it is to accomplish that, I think, is reflected in this chapter. Because even when they try to go aside to rest, they're pursued by the crowd. They end up, he ends up feeding the 5,000. I mean, I, I can relate even to the difficulty of that. You try to get away to a quiet place, and then someone says, well, here's, here, Bill, here's a good idea for a book for you to write. Or <laughs> I have a friend who needs counseling. Or, And, uh, I mean, how can you say no to that? Yeah. How does that work? And what you're putting your finger on, Michael is that we can become so caught up in doing the work of the Lord Mm -hmm. that our relationship with the Lord itself is undermined. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking just about those in Christian leadership here, Bill. This, This is for all of us. It is for all of us. And the bottom line is relationship. It's not the ability to speak. It's not the ability to act with power. It is the relationship that we sustain with the Lord. And when Jesus says to me, come with me by yourself, or he says to us as a community, come to me by yourselves to a quiet place and get some rest, I hear the renewing of the cycle of discipleship, he's saying, in essence, come and be with me once again. So it's not simply R&R. It's let's renew our relationship. Come and get to know me again. Uh, let's, let's begin this relationship, take it to a deeper place. Well, precisely, though, because I think we can easily uh, come to the conclusion we know what ministry is all about. We know what sharing our testimony or our giving our witness is all about. We know what doing the work of the Lord entails. Mm -hmm. The truth of the matter is there are a variety of situations to which we've been exposed, but there are others about which we know very little. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is eager to enrich us. And so he wants us to spend time with him. That, that's very meaningful, Bill, because, Michael, you know with your unique lifestyle that you can go on doing what you do without this, uh, this rest that the Lord provides, and yet you grow more weary as you do it, and, and it loses its, its, its power, really. Well, I had an opportunity when, when I was walking with Bill intensively to see someone who was teaching actively, going all over the world, you know, uh, discipling and uh, writing commentaries constantly. And, uh, and Bill is the person who would say, well, let's, let's take a walk two times around campus once a week or let's, you know, uh, let's get away by ourselves. I mean, you, he really lived this out for me, and, and that was helpful. And it's, it's only as I got away from that that uh, I began to struggle. I didn't have anyone in my life to show me how to rest, hmm. show me what it meant to get away to be alone with Jesus. Bill, is it significant that Jesus talks about coming to a quiet place? Uh, you know how difficult it is to find quiet places in our culture. Well, that's true, but I remember what it meant uh, to labor with my wife in Amsterdam, where the evil that I had known in our culture, which was basically beneath the surface, relatively polite, covert, mm-hmm. was suddenly blatant. And one of the important insights that came to us was sometimes, especially those of us who labor within the midst of the city, have to withdraw from the city 
in order to be refreshed to go back into the city mm -hmm. and to labor in the midst of whatever it uh, is our circumstance. I, I, I know how important it is to have a period of time where you can focus undistractedly mm -hmm. upon the Lord. And I also know what it is to commit the sin of idolatry, where I made the work of the Lord more important than my relationship with the Lord. Hmm. And I think it's helpful to think of the face of a clock. Think in terms of the hour hand. At 12 o'clock, we hear the voice of Jesus calling us to be with him. And as the hour hand gradually moves around towards six, perhaps at two o'clock, the call to be with him in conflict. At three o'clock, the call to be with him in a time of teaching. At four and five, the call to be with him in the experience of the demonic disease and death. At six, the call to be with him in the experience of rejection. At six o'clock, the hour hand begins to move toward the point where we hear him say, Now speak my word and do my work. And then as the hour hand continues to move back toward the twelve, we come to that point perhaps at five minutes to twelve where we come into his presence and we say, This is what I've done and this is what I've said. And then we hear, Now come and be with me yet more. So long as that cycle is unbroken, we are energized in our lives as Christians and the witness we seek to share. But when the cycle is broken, when we become stuck at some point within the cycle, burnout occurs. And burnout is the experience where we've begun operating within our own perspectives, within our own strength, within our own limited resources, and we forget that we are instruments of his word, of his power, and we become useless and must be replaced. Mm -hmm. Even if we get stuck at that point where we're with Jesus, I mean, Michael, you, you can become so pious about it that it never moves into action. It never yeah. moves into claiming territory. Yeah, for there Christ. are people who are forever preparing for ministry, another degree or, you know, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that puts its finger, your, your finger, Michael, on an important point. Where do you find yourself in the cycle of discipleship right at this moment? Is it for you a time in which you are with Jesus in a variety of experiences? Wonderful. The only question I have for you is, how long have you been there? Mm -hmm. Is it time, perhaps, that you heard him say, now speak my word and do my work? And this isn't a call that comes simply to leadership or to those in the music ministry or into some other phase of outreach and mission. It is a call that comes to every one of us. Or it may well be that you are in leadership, engaged in ministry. You are out there speaking Jesus' word. You are out there doing Jesus' work great. But the question I have is, how long 
have you been there? When was the last time that you came into Jesus' presence and told him all that you had done and all that you have said? And heard him say, Now come and rest and be with me yet again. Hmm. That's imperative if we are going to be renewed in our desire to be the disciples who are capable of making the presence of Jesus believable and beautiful in our generation. Mm. Bill, the popular term today is burnout. Is this what you're talking about here, a spiritual burnout? Yes, it's interesting, Wayne, that as a boy, I never knew that expression. I never heard it. And yet every one of us knows that expression well. It describes the person who once was in the forefront of ministry, in the forefront of leadership, in the forefront of uh, various forms of expressing Christian witness. Even in their family. Yes, who have then dropped out simply because they have become exhausted to the core. How are we going to prevent that? It's going to be to recognize this cycle of discipleship that needs to be continually renewed. It strikes me that this pattern can be applied on different levels. It can be applied in the course of a day uh, where you get up in the morning, you, uh, you are with Jesus, he helps you prepare for the day, the day is spent in ministry, and then at the close of the day you report back to Jesus, he says, come and rest. But it, this could be applied over a lifetime, uh, over uh, the, the period of uh, studying, preparing with, perhaps to get a uh, degree, that period of being with Jesus, then the period of a, of a life's ministry, and then at the end of a lifetime, Jesus saying, come, in, come with me and rest. I mean, it's, it's a big cycle. I mean, the, the truth of it encompasses, can encompass a whole lifetime. But of course, primarily uh, and most functionally, the way we're applying it here is, is in a cyclical way in our lives uh, over the course of ministry. It is so easy to presume that we will always be able to speak Jesus' word. We'll always be able to do his work. And that simply is not the case. We feel superhuman, or we, we attempt to be superhuman when we're not. Well, in time, it really becomes our word and our work and no longer his. Yeah. So we need and to turn And we wonder it back why over. there is a staleness mm-hmm. to what we say and to what we do, and why there is no power in the actions mm-hmm. that in which we engage. Mm-hmm. Bill, in the closing moments here of this final discussion of the cycle of discipleship and the three phases we've talked about, would you once again look our listeners, all of us in the eye, and just ask us to be open to the Lord's leading right now. Where are we in that process and how can we get started again? Where do we start regardless of where we find ourselves? I think... Perhaps a word that might be helpful is concentric. A Christian's life is concentric, that is, Christ is at the center. And our lives revolve around the call of Jesus upon our lives, whether it be to be with him, to be commissioned to speak his word and do his work, or to come into his presence and to report all that we have done and hear the call to be with him again. The eccentric person is the person who is cut off Hmm. from the center. That's the person who experiences burnout. Mm -hmm. If we will place Jesus at the very center of our lives, 
We will be more sensitive to his call, and we will be responsive, precisely as we ought to be when he calls us to be with him or commissioned to speak his word and do his work. One, two. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Come unto me and rest. Lay down, thou weary one, lay down your head upon my breast. I came to Jesus as I was, weary, worn, and sad. I found in him a resting place, and he has made me glad. I heard the voice of Jesus say, Behold, I freely give the living water, thirsty ones to down and drink and live. I came to Jesus and I drank of that life-giving stream. My thirst was quenched, my soul revived, and now I live in Him. I heard the voice of Jesus say, I am this dark world's light. Come unto me, your morn shall rise, and all your days be bright. I looked to Jesus and I found in Him both star and sun. And in that light of life I'll walk till all my days are done. of Jesus say come unto me and rest lay down thou weary one lay down your head upon my breast I came to Jesus as I was weary worn and sad I found in him a resting place and he has made me glad
great sound. Michael Card here in the studio. That was recorded some time ago when Dr. Lane did that teaching. Though. And we were doing an Irish tour at that time, so uh-huh. Shinoa was playing, uh, Shinoa Sykes was playing violin. Mm-hmm. and uh, Ken Lewis on that bass drum. There. Yeah, it's a big marching drum, actually, he was playing. And uh, who else? Uh, I think Steve Mikesville was actually playing guitar, and I was playing Penny Whistle. Yeah, we, we cheated a little bit and went back and had you add Penny Whistle after the whole thing. Oh, we did? Recording. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. how we did that, right? Okay. I, little... I don't, it was so long ago, I don't remember anymore. <laughs> a little recording secret here yeah. today. But it was all done right here in the studio, and an appropriate song, too, to follow the cycle of discipleship that ends up with Jesus telling us to come rest come in Come and him. rest, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. We need that word. In the studio at michaelcard.com is our email address, and we love to get these emails. Uh, Michael, we have one in front of us here today that uh, you'd like to interact with. Yeah, I would. Uh, you know, I, the, the name is there, but I'm not so sure we're going to give the name. Not it's, necessary. It's a, it's a young woman. Uh, she said, I'm in the process of doing research for a ladies' group um, uh, for the purpose of supporting women who are struggling in their marriages. Uh, we're covering topics like abiding in Christ, forgiveness, reconciliation, how to pray, that sort of thing. She says, as I have begun to be involved under our counseling ministry at church and have discussed the side of those who are not walking in obedience to Christ in their homes and marriages, I often hear the words, I am struggling, uh, quote, unquote. Uh, is it possible that the church becomes too accustomed to these words and we begin to fill our life with one excuse after another rather than repentance? I think of all the scriptures that state how important obedience to God is. I've heard it is not right to speak all about obedience and not allow for the struggle of the flesh, but I'm quite confused where to draw the line. Is it wrong to begin to replace fleshly patterns with godly habits? Uh, the Holy Spirit, I know, has to do the work from the inside out, but as we turn and walk in obedience, are we not stronger and stronger? Hmm. Do you have any thoughts? <laughs> wow. <laughs> a few. Yeah, well, there's a lot of issues there. I mean, I think, uh, should the church become a place where people uh, have this excuse, oh, I'm struggling, and then uh, sort of do as they please? Absolutely not. Is it not right that the Holy Spirit is doing a work in us? And uh, she uses the word stronger and stronger. I'm not so sure that's the word I would use, but we're, we're, we're becoming more conformed to the image of mm-hmm. Christ because that's the work the Holy Spirit has promised mm-hmm. and the Scriptures promised to do in us. But I'm not sure that always looks like being stronger and stronger. Sometimes it looks like being weaker and right. weaker, but uh, certainly it means being stronger in Him. I think what ha- what has to happen uh, is that we have to realize that everyone is in a different place, and some people genuinely are struggling, and it can be uh, years before there seems to be what other people would call progress, but God is still doing His work. Uh, some people seem to be able to pull themselves out of a bad situation so quickly. This is also a question that relates to the next part of our discussion today with Jim Van Eypern about biblical community. We'll learn more when we talk to Jim in a few moments. Yeah, I think uh, the answer really is found in community as we listen to each other and pray for each other. All right. Thanks, Michael. We need to stop right here as we get ready to take a break. You'll want to be sure to listen for the second half of In the Studio with Michael Card. Now, we hope that you'll take a moment and send us your thoughts about the program, as well as any questions you have about the Bible or living the Christian life. Our email address is inthestudio at michaelcard.com. Now, if you're new to this broadcast, why not stop by our website and learn more about this program and Michael's music and teaching ministry? We're excited about all the features that are waiting for you right now, including the opportunity to sign up to become a member of a section we call the community. Make sure you don't miss out by stopping by our home on the web. The address is www.michaelcard.com. 
And if you'd like to hear this complete program again, come to the audio archives on our radio page or order your CD copy at michaelcard.com. More music and conversation after this break, coming up on the Moody Broadcasting Network. We are in the studio with Michael Card. I'm Wayne Shepherd. In a moment, a conversation about redemptive biblical community. We look forward to talking to Jim Van Ipern here in just a few moments. But first, we've got time for a song here, Michael. You're going to sing. Actually, this was taken from one of your concerts recently, or one of our radio concerts. The song is called I'm Not Supposed to Be Here from a Fragile Stone. And while I had listened to the song, it meant so much more after hearing your explanation. I'd like to take a moment to have you explain it for us now. Sure. And, and this is a great song to lead us into a discussion of community because uh, the song comes out of Peter's experience uh, with Cornelius. Uh, from the book of Acts, where God calls Peter to go to a place he would have never gone. (laughs) And the the song is based on uh, the first words out of Peter's mouth when he enters into Cornelius' house, a Gentile home that he is, you know, it's forbidden as a good Jewish person, he's forbidden to enter. The first thing he says to Cornelius is, you know, I'm not supposed to be here, Hmm. right? And I I think community so often for us, uh, it tends to be this this homogeneous group of people that are just like Mm -hmm. us, right? And what we fail to realize often is that God calls us to be places where we're not supposed to be. That is, he calls us like he called Peter to the Gentiles and Paul to the Gentiles and, and countless Christians through Christian history, uh, missionaries uh, that go to people of a different race and different color and different culture. He calls us to be places where the world says, you, you know, you're really not supposed to go there. Mm-hmm. And so I think biblical Christian community has to look like uh, he- what heaven's going to look like. That is, they're people of all uh, races, all uh, cultures, all economic uh, backgrounds. Uh, God calls us to go places we're not supposed to be so that we can build community for him. And for listeners who want to read more about this, your book, A Fragile Stone, talks mm-hmm. about this. But let's, yeah. uh, let's listen to the song, I'm Not Supposed to Be Here. It was his final word as we walked beside the sea. You will be led where you don't want to go. I knew that he would test my faith and all that I believed. But just how far then I could never know. And he would send a vision then once more beside the sea. To a rooftop where my ecstasy was seen To ask what was unaskable Three times the vision came And demanded I embrace what was unclean You know I'm not supposed to be here To cross the line no one has crossed before To simply be one of the fools that you call to break the rules And to go someplace I'm not supposed to be My stumbling faith responded to what my mind said wasn't right So I left that place and followed in a dream To find unfamiliar strangers who were hungry for the light Then I realized that no one is unclean You know I'm not supposed to be here To cross the line no one has crossed before To simply be one of the fools 
you call to break the rules and to go someplace I'm not supposed to be. But I was born to be a winner and not to serve some fallen, conquered king who took up the cross and bled when he broke himself for bread in a place where he was not supposed to be in a place where he was not supposed to be in a place where he was not supposed to be Michael, thank you for that good song today. In our community segment, uh, we're excited to introduce a new friend to our listeners here today. A, a new friend to our listeners, a relatively new friend to me, but an, an old friend to you. Yeah, he, he probably doesn't like me reminding him of this all the time, but I knew this man when he was a college student 25 years wow. ago. I wasn't much older, but... <laughs> and you guys were involved in planning a church together, that's yeah. right? Jim, you remember that? Jim Van Eypren? Yes, we were... Small, uh, starting a small church with a couple of couples in a, in a small town in uh, western Illinois, or northern Illinois, and uh, it was it was a great learning experience for all of us. Did, did you have any idea of what you were doing? No, <laughs> oh. <laughs> no. And you know, I tell people now who are planning churches, it's the best poss- it's the best and worst possible experience you can have <laughs> because because you're forced to be on the line and learn what grace and and the church is all about. It was a great experience, but it was a hard experience. Mm-hmm. Well, Jim, we look forward to you visiting with us here in Franklin, and we'll uh, do some programs in the studio together, but it's nice to talk with you on the phone today. Now, you have Metanoia Ministries. What is that about? Well, Metanoia comes from the Greek word in the New Testament that's uh, used for repent in the New Testament, but it also can literally mean change your mind, and that's what we're about as a ministry. We're coming alongside pastors and leaders and members of churches in order to help them uh, change their mind. And, and another theme line of our ministry is, is growing redemptive community. We believe the church is called to be a community. And our primary work is reconciliation, but that requires the people of God to be the people of God, to be redemptive. So our ministry is about coming alongside the church, helping them to understand and then to live into what it means to be the body of Christ. So you're building community in, in the deepest sense of the word. Yeah, we're calling people um, to a renewed passion for what it means to be a called-out separate people. You know, that's what the word church literally means in the the Greek. It's a called-out, called-together people, which means we're called out of the world, uh, the surroundings. We live in it, but we're out of it in the sense that we live as a community of contrast to the world around us. We ought to live such lives that the world looking in would say, man, that's what I want. That's an authentic people. And that happens in various ways, but uh, it is in calling the people to be the people of God. So as you've witnessed the breakdown of community, uh, what have you learned about what real biblical community is? Well, uh, you know, most of the time when we uh, uh, deal with churches coming alongside pastors and churches, it it is because they've either forgotten or perhaps never really understood what it means to have, uh, I would say it this way, have your identity, your reality, and your activity formed by the salvation story, formed by Jesus Christ crucified. 
And so the community breaks down or isn't living up to its calling because we've not, with Paul, said we're crucified with Christ. That is, I now shape my identity not in my self-esteem, but I shape my identity, who I am, in Christ. It's, I would say uh, to, be, to be a Christian is to locate oneself in Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. So our identity is, is marked in different ways, and, and we don't live into a reality or an activity or practice what it means to be believers. And when we break down in those areas, we stop becoming the community and we get ourselves into trouble. Uh, Michael, I have to say that I recently sat in on one of Jim's seminars to a group of pastors, and I sat at the back of the room just amazed at all the practical things that come out of community. Once we commit ourselves to that and don't just glibly treat it as something, well, I'm, I'm here as long as it serves me and serves my purposes, but I'm really committed to this, the, the full life uh, that, that that brings to, to us is really mm-hmm. remarkable. Jim really has a good handle on that, I think. He does. And Jim, in your book, you talk a lot about leadership. Is it possible to have community without a leader? Uh, no, I don't think so, although uh, we, we need to be quick to define what kind of leader we need. I mm-hmm. think biblical community demands a certain kind of leader, and uh, that might differ from what the world, again, would commonly call a strong leader, because we, we in Scripture know that we're called to be servant leaders, mm-hmm. and that demands uh, brokenness as well as courage, but brokenness first, and humility and servanthood. and So there's an attitude and a posture and a calling of leadership that's necessary to be the body, but it's very different, again, from what the world would call leadership. Mm. Talk more about that, Jim. What, what are the marks of a, of a true leader in community, then? Well, I, we talk about four uh, essential character traits that every godly leader needs to have, and, and they're these. They're brokenness, mm. which, which we would call lordship in heart. That my heart has come to a place where I know that I am and I can do absolutely nothing apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Some people may think that would disqualify you as a leader. Well, yeah, and that's what makes that what that's what makes our story so different from well, the world. Well, that's what Jesus says about himself, isn't it? He exactly. said, "I can't do anything." Exactly. Except I do he, the you Father. know, Jesus says, "Here's what leadership is." He gets up from the table and he washes his betrayer's feet, yeah. and he says, "It's only as you do this will you be blessed." Yeah. This is what true leadership is about. So brokenness for us is is, is number one. You, you really can't lead until you know how to follow. You can't lead until you've been in a place where you know that any good that comes is to the glory of Jesus. But the problem is, if you're just there broken, uh, you can easily become a victim. So that has to be balanced by godly courage, which we would say is lordship and action. Mm. And, and we have, uh, if you look through Scripture, every major movement of God in Scripture comes with a call to be strong and take courage. And, of course, the courage comes from the the balancing side of I am and can do nothing apart from Christ. Now we have, uh, through Paul's words, I can do all things through Christ. So with his lordship and with his strength, I can do all things, and we as a people can do all things. Then we move on to integrity, and and, uh, I would define integrity as uh, as as lordship in community uh, because the word integrity literally means oneness or being one and so it's that call to unity one faith one lord one baptism one god and father who's overall and in all that's a oneness uh and then the, the final one i would say uh, that every leader in every church must live out would be justice and and i would say that lordship in society the church ought to be a place 
that has something to say and, and have an impact on those uh, crimes and ills and, and weaknesses in the society around us by caring for those who can't care for themselves. Now, Jim, this is radically countercultural. <laughs> I've heard you talk about this. This flies in the face of everything we're programmed to be as Americans, you know, individualistic and, and all the rest of it, doesn't it? Yeah, it sure does. Uh, we're, we're taught from the day we're born, if we've lived in, in a Western culture, that the highest good and the highest uh, ideal for us is to become uh, self-actualized mm-hmm. <laughs> or to have self-esteem. And, uh, and, and those, those uh, uh, plagues in our society uh, really have wrapped in it. The reason why they're so hard for us and hard for the world to deal with is we wrap our identity around them. So, that, so now if, if I have been abused, perhaps, as, uh, as, as many women and men have been, either psychologically or physically or sexually, we become wrapped up in the identity of as a victim. And, and that's the story. That's the story that many people uh, buy into. And, and the Christian story is that though you've been abused, though you've been a victim, that now in Christ you're whole. You can be made whole. You can be, you can be healed. You have a new identity. You have a new identity because my identity is not in those circumstances or events or failures of the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's what's so great about Christianity because it's so radical. Mm-hmm. It means that I can't do anything in my life that would somehow be apart from the wonderful grace of Christ. That I could, whether I'm a murderer or a terrorist or, or, or the most heinous crime person, uh, that with repentance, with a change of mind, I can become new in Christ. My identity be- can become one of a person who is saved, a person who's a child of God. Well, and neither is my identity and my successes, Exactly. so many exactly. Christians buy into. It's, it, it, we might just say it this way. It's not performance-based. Yeah. Uh, my identity now is wrapped up in not what I know or what I've done or who I am by myself, but I locate myself in the salvation story of Jesus Christ that is revealed in Scripture, in His life, His death, and His mm-hmm. resurrection. Talking with Jim Van Eyperen here in the studio today. Actually, Jim's on the telephone with us and hopefully will be in the studio with us sometime mm-hmm. as we pursue these things further. Uh, Jim, I'm just uh, thinking again, you know, the, the community means that uh, you, when someone walks away or is involved in sin, uh, if I'm in community with that person, I can't just let them go, can I? No, we're, we're bound together. That's what this oneness is, is so important, and returning to the idea of integrity. See, true integrity is that I, I need you. I am part of you. We're a body. And like a body, um, there is no insignificant part. That's why throughout Scripture we have these images of, of, of uh, Paul talks about no insignificant member of the body. We're all one in Christ. And so when a brother fails or, or, or a sister fails and wants to walk away, I as a brother need to lovingly go after and say, oh, come on, no, come back. We and that's invitational. You. <laughs> you, can't, you can't force it. No, you ha- it has to be an invitation. And that's, that's why leadership is so important, uh, because I think the primary role of a leader in a community is to invite people into a change process, to invite people into oneness. You can't coerce people. That's not leadership. Leadership is invitation. Come enjoy the grace of Christ as we walk through this very ambiguous, very troubled world 
but see the joy of Christ through it. Michael, we talk about community a lot on this program. It's one of the reasons we exist. Is this resonating with you? Yeah, it really is. Uh, and and I, I'm so excited uh, when Jim comes to spend time with us for Jim to see the community and be introduced to uh, what God is doing here in Franklin. I'm so anxious, Jim, for you to meet with the Empty Hands Fellowship and yeah. and share your heart uh, in terms of community. And uh, and maybe there's even some uh, some pastors that you could meet with while you're down here and, and, uh, and do some of your fine work. That'd be wonderful. I'd, I'd, I'd look forward to come and learn from you and from what's going on down there. Jim, we have a, a few minutes left. In the time remaining, uh, I'd, I'd be interested in hearing a story, uh, not necessarily a success story, but a story uh, out of your own ministry when you saw community really come uh, to fruition. Mm. Yeah, there's so many we could draw from. Uh, much of our ministry is, is seeing people who are going through some kind of trauma or some kind of conflict or um, coming out of failure and, and having to be in a place where they have to trust God. And what we try to do is come alongside them to help them understand what to do that, how to do that. And we, also, we often point them to the one another commands. You know, that, that would be a practical way of saying, what is biblical community? Biblical community is, is a group of people who are just living into and practicing the one another command. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, forbear one another. Even though we disappoint one another? Yeah, even, especially then. Especially because we disappoint. Yeah. Especially then. <laughs> We've had times when uh, we've had the opportunity to come alongside someone who's fallen, someone who's sinned, and, and encourage them to, to follow Scripture in confessing their sins and praying for one another. That's a, that's a tough command, but it's one of the most important. And I can recall several instances where we've had a pastor or an elder come before the body and confess a sin with great nervousness, great, great fear about what will happen and just saying, no, this is the right thing to do. And if you honor God, God, God will honor this process. And so uh, there was a, a church we served where we invited a pastor to come back who had left the church and had left uh, under some moral failure. And, and part of our investigation, we had found out what that was, and I invited him into a process, met with him, and he said, Jim, it's, it's true, I did it, and, I, and I'll do anything I need to do to make it right. So I invited him back, and he came back and to the church and came before uh, the congregation uh, to confess a sin that they were not even fully aware of. Wow. I, I invited him to the, the lectern, and he said, uh, yes, I did this thing, and my heart is grieved. And now, he didn't to. have to do that, did he? Well, he didn't, he didn't have to do that for uh, his sake. Many, many, uh, many people go away, and uh, I would argue that it's, the, it's really the best thing and, and perhaps the only thing to do, because that's the way we're formed, by making a confession publicly. We do many things. First, we glorify Jesus Christ as Lord, and we amp by emptying ourselves and being humble. But then it's also character-forming for the individual. By my making a public statement where I've failed, I've said something about myself that I need the Lord and, and others can come alongside me. And then the third thing it does, it builds the community. And just to, just to give you what, just a brief picture of what happened, this man made a very sincere and public confession. He went down, I came back to the lectern, and I said, now it's our joy and our privilege in the name and on the basis of Jesus Christ crucified to forgive our brother for his sin. And I said, but, you know, I wasn't here when this happened, so I'm going to invite you to stand and grant public forgiveness. And the first person to stand up was a woman who I met with with my wife just five days earlier, whose marriage was severely broken because of this confusion that came wow. out of this man's sin. And I asked her, what do you need to happen? And she said, I need Pastor to come back and confess publicly, but he'll never do that. 
and here he had done it. And she stood up and she looked him in the eye and she said his first name and says, I forgive you and I thank you for coming back. Wow. And there was a time of public uh, expression of forgiveness of that man that would be unlike anything most churches ever experienced. I mean, that was reconciliation. That's what we mean by redemptive community, where we just practice, we just do what God's Word tells us to do. And we've, it was a powerful time. Uh, we've got to continue this dialogue oh, in the yeah. future with Jim and others. And Jim is the author, by the way, of a book called Making Peace, if our listeners want to read more about this. And we'll link his website to ours, michaelcart.com. Jim, thanks for being with us today. Michael, any final word? Well, I just want to echo uh, what Wayne said. Thank you for uh, beginning this process with us, and and we're excited about you becoming a regular uh, guest and and a resource person for us because we need help in this area of community. We talk a lot about it, don't we, Wayne? Mm -hmm. But uh, there's so much that we don't understand that we need help on. So thanks, Jim. Thank you. Pleasure being with you. And as we say goodbye to Jim, Michael, I'm going to ask you to sing a benediction here, a community benediction for us. Grace be to you all. Here's Michael Card.
What a great song to wrap up our conversation about biblical community with Jim Van Eyperen. And you've been listening to In the Studio with Michael Card. Our goal each week is to help you face the truth of God's Word and help you live it out as a mature follower of Jesus. So we hope you'll take a moment right now and let us know how God is using this weekly time together to make this a reality. Our email address is in the studio at michaelcard.com. Please pass along your comments, Bible questions, and prayer requests. And when you do, let us know that you're standing with us in prayer. We're very mindful of how dependent we are on God's Spirit to empower this radio outreach. Our email address again is in the studio at michaelcard.com. And to stay connected with all that's going on with the broadcast and Michael's ministry, come to our website. We're easily found at www.michaelcard.com. And when you stop by, you'll be able to find out how to access the resources we're developing for those who become members of a feature we call The Community. Besides that, we're very excited about our publication called The Community Magazine and From the Study, Michael's new monthly e-journal. Find out about these as well as a new book and CD on the life of Peter titled A Fragile Stone. Also, there are several ways you can listen to this complete program again. You can go to the audio archives on our radio page or you can find out how to order a CD copy or transcript. Our program engineer is Kenny Ferris, our producer Joe Carlson. I'm Wayne Shepherd. Thanks for being with us in the studio with Michael Carr. In the Studio with Michael Card is a production of Community Broadcasting and the Moody Broadcasting Network.